0: Well, I'm glad you are here. So, if you have a Bible today, let's go to Acts chapter 12. We're walking our way through the book of Acts. I think today is message number 18 through this journey. And today is an important place in that book. You know, Jesus said he, he commissioned his followers to take the gospel, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, right? That was sort of the progression that was laid out there before his people. And what happens is in Acts chapter one through seven, it's really focused on Jerusalem. And then in chapters eight through 12, it's broadening out really in Samaria and Judea. And so when we get through chapter 12 today, that's gonna kind of be a, a division, a dividing line in the book of Acts, where next week we get to Acts chapter 13 and the gospel begins to go beyond Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria. And it begins to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. And that's exciting because that's where you and I really begin to see ourselves in this incredible story. So chapter 12 today is going to really sort of close out the first half of the book of the book of Acts. And in doing that, it's going to remind me and you today of something that you probably don't need to be reminded of. It's going to remind us today that we're in the middle of a cosmic battle. That there is a war that is going on right now. And I don't know too many human beings right now that don't feel the pressure and the strain of that cosmic battle in your own life right now in some shape, form, or fashion. This cosmic battle has been being fought ever since Lucifer, one of the most high-ranking angels in heaven, rebelled against God and wanted to dethrone God as God. And to take his place, he wanted God's throne. Of course, God, being God, had no trouble putting down that rebellion. And he cast Lucifer from the heavenly kingdom. We now know Lucifer as Satan. And he's now the one that the Bible says is roaming to and fro in our neighborhood. Roaming to and fro in our schools. Roaming to and fro in our workplaces. Sometimes even roaming to and fro under the roof of the very same home that we live in, roaming to and fro even in the same church that we go to. The Bible says he's roaming to and fro throughout the earth, seeking who he may devour. See, Satan drew us into this battle. He drew humanity and mankind into this battle. Back in Genesis chapter 3, when he convinced Adam and Eve to follow his pattern, and to also rebel against God, to choose their own way, to choose their own path. And is that not the defining characteristic of the human race today? We are a bunch of people today that we want to choose our own way, choose our own path, do what's right in our own opinion or estimation or in our own eyes. We find ourselves today in the middle of this cosmic battle and these powers that are at work in this world. Acts 12 reminds us today that even now this battle's going on and it's raging. And it underscores four powers that are at work in the world today. So I want to invite you to write these down or memorize them as we talk today. Four powers that are at work around us even now in this moment today. Number one is this, the power of Satan. The power of Satan. You know, the Bible is filled with examples of people who were under, I believe, satanic power. Who desired to eliminate God's people from the face of the planet. Hearts that they could not sway away from God, they sought to destroy. Pharaoh, we mentioned him in the timeline right a minute ago, he comes to mind. You think about how he was determined to bring destruction to the people of God tossing Hebrew baby boys into the crocodile-infested waters of the Nile River. Also in the Old Testament, I think of Ahab, and Jezebel. And, and, and we could go on with other examples. In, in the New Testament, there's one particular family of rulers, though, that stands out in my mind and maybe in some of yours as well. This one particular family of the New Testament seemed to have a tremendous amount of passion about bringing destruction and harm to God's people. The patriarch of this family in the New Testament, his name is Herod. We know him as Herod the Great. The Herod family, the Herods, they were Edomites, if you listened in the timeline a moment ago. Their great, great, great granddaddy shared the same womb as Jacob. Their great, 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 great granddaddy Esau. And from him came this bunch of people called the Edomites. The Edomites, as I mentioned earlier, are thought to have joined forces with the Babylonians when they came after the southern kingdom of God's people. They're considered to have joyfully betrayed the people of God into captivity. This is the people that Herod the Great comes from, the Edomite people. When the Roman Empire comes to the forefront in human history, they tap Herod the Great to become the ruler over Palestine. And you can only imagine how this must have made the Jewish people feel, right? To, of all people, have this Benedict Arnold, if you will, ruling over you as a puppet of the Roman Empire. And so he ruled over the people of God, and he did so with an iron fist. He was a violent man. He was a bloodthirsty man. History tells us that he even murdered his own wife, three of his own sons. And you probably remember one of the cruelest things that we know about this Herod, is when he caught wind that a jewish messiah had been born in the town of bethlehem he issued a decree that all the baby boys in that vicinity would die and that's what he did it was herod the great's son herod antipas who had john the baptist killed he just kind of picked up where dear old dad left off right he has john the baptist killed has his head cut off and delivers his head to his wife slash niece. That's kind of what got John the Baptist in a little hot water because he spoke out against that. It's that same Herod Antipas that beheaded John the Baptist that Jesus stood before in his trial, that mocked Jesus. He's later deposed, and he's replaced by his nephew, Herod Agrippa I. And this is the character that we're going to meet today in chapter 12. Herod Agrippa, the great-nephew of Herod the Great, he struggled within the Roman Empire. He never was real highly thought of by those in power uh, in the Roman government. And so he played politics. He learned how to do that pretty well. And what he learned is if he could stay really, really popular with the Jewish people, then Rome would let him be, right? As long as they were happy, and they had approval of him, then Rome would stay off his back. And he could keep his cushy position. And so this is Herod Agrippa. And so it's important for him that he does what he's got to do to maintain favor with the Jews. Now that's going to make sense when now we get to chapter 12. Y'all with me? A little history backstory. Your eyes crossing? Are you okay? All right, you, know, you didn't know he was going to history class today, but here we are. All right, so verse 1. About that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. You know why he's doing that? So the Jewish people go, yes, get them, stick them, preserve our religion, preserve our way of life, right? This is all politically motivated. So he's persecuting some believers in the church, verse 2. He had the apostle James, that's John's brother, killed with a sword. Why did he have James killed with a sword? Politics. He wanted the applause of the Jewish people. Put down the leader of this new movement that's a threat to the religious leaders, to the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, and their way of life. And so he has James killed with the sword. This is nothing more than a satanic attack on the church. We are seeing the power of Satan here. At work. When Satan wanted to hinder and stop the work of the church in Jerusalem, he sends Herod Agrippa out to attack the leaders of the church. First, he goes after James. James was one of the inner circle of Jesus during his earthly ministry. There were three in the inner circle. You remember that? Peter, James, and John. And James and John were brothers. And so now James becomes the first apostle to die. And really, the only one that's recorded for us uh, here in the book of Acts. His brother John is going to be the last apostle that dies. So they're kind of the bookend brothers of the deaths of the apostles. Verse 3 says, When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter, right? Again, politics, poll numbers going up. Well, let's send the poll numbers soaring even more. I'll get Peter. He's even a more prized catch than James is. The Bible says this took place during the Passover celebration. Verse 4, Then he imprisoned him, that's Peter, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. So 16 soldiers, right? Herod intended, the Bible says, to bring Peter out for public trial After the Passover. So Herod Agrippa sees that poll numbers are surging here with the execution of James. And so he has Peter arrested. And undoubtedly he has decided he's going to make Peter's fate the same fate of James. But perhaps he's going to do it in a bit more dramatic fashion on the tail end of the Passover taking place. Satan, his powers at work. And he likes to attack the choicest of God's servants, doesn't he? I think about Job in the Old Testament, stood taller in righteousness than any other person on the earth at that time, and he came under attack. Satan here is attacking the leaders, the choicest servants of the church in Jerusalem, Peter and James. I hope there's people here today that despite that bit of truth, you still would want to be one of God's choice servants despite the challenge of it and the difficulty of it, that you would say, God, I want, to be, I want to be a choice servant in your kingdom. I hope that you would want to be the kind of person today that when you wake up tomorrow, Satan goes, oh, no, they're up, right? That we would want to be that kind of person that we would, for the glory of God, for the advancement of his kingdom in the world, we would want to aspire to be the tip of his spear in this world, in whatever way that he might choose that for us. Satan hates God, and he hates God's people, and he's busy here in Acts chapter 12, and he's busy here today among us in this world. So we see the power of Satan in Acts chapter 12, right? But I want you to see a second power that's at work, and that's the power of prayer. The power of prayer. Verse 5 says, But while Peter was in prison, surrounded by 16 guards the church prayed isn't that good the church didn't despair the church didn't run and hide they prayed and the bible says they prayed very earnestly for him verse 6 says the night before peter was to be placed on trial he was fast asleep i love that i lose sleep over a lot less (laughs) don't you But Peter is sound asleep. He knows James has been killed. He's about to be killed, and he's just sleeping. You know why he can do that? Because his hope is in the Lord. In fact, I think Peter knows this ain't it. You say, how do you know that? Because one of the last things Jesus said to Peter before he went back into heaven is he told Peter, when you get old, they're going to bind your hands, and they're going to take you where you don't want to go. And so I think Peter is sitting there, maybe not yet quite as a deeply entrenched middle-aged person. And he's thinking to himself, this is not how Jesus said it would go. This is not how it's going to go. So he goes to sleep. Hey, let's anchor our thoughts to the Word of God like that. Amen? That we would just know, thus saith the Word of God. All right? And I'm going to go to sleep. And I'm going to rest in that. And I'm going to trust the Lord. So Peter is... Asleep, fastened, the Bible says in verse 6, with two chains between two soldiers, others stood guard at the prison gate. Suddenly there was a bright light in the cell, and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on his side to awaken him. He's sleeping good. I mean, he's in that deep rim sleep where even this bright light of an angel of the Lord standing in the prison cell doesn't even wake him. The angel has to pop him in the side like some of y'all do, your spouse sometimes, right? And he says, quick get up and the chains fell off of his wrist and then the angel told him get dressed and put on your sandals and he did now put on your coat can you this is like you ever you know like dressing your kindergarten for kindergartner for school you got to tell them step by step you know they're just so tired and so sleepy that's kind of the Imagery I think we're having here. The angel's having to tell Peter step by step. All right, put this on. Okay, now put this on. All right, now brush your teeth. Okay, now comb your hair. Okay, here we go. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. Verse 9. So Peter left the cell following the angel. But all the time he thought it was a vision. He didn't realize it was actually happening. He, He thinks this is just some kind of dream, some kind of vision that he's having. So he's not really... Uh, too alarmed by anything at this point the bible says verse 10 they passed the first and the second guard post somebody this morning uh miss jeannie cargill when i scooted in this morning she said i had a dream last night that you were walking back and forth on the stage I Said, man i wish i wish the day's coming right so peter thinks he's having this this dream and he passes the first and second guard post and he came to the iron gate leading to the city and this opened for them all by itself so they passed through and they started walking down the street and then the angel suddenly left him. Peter finally came to his senses. He's standing out there in the middle of the street, free, in the dark, middle of the night. Nobody's around. And he realizes, this, this, he's pinching himself, right? Slapping himself. This is really happening. He came to his senses. It's really true, he said. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. When he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark. John Mark's going to become a pretty prominent figure in the book of Acts. This is where we get introduced to him. The reason he goes to that home is because he probably knows this is where the church meets. This is where my people typically tend to be found. And so he's going to go be with his people, with the church there. The Bible says there were many gathered there for what? For prayer. For prayer. We, we saw the power of Satan at work here through Herod, but we now see the power of prayer at work. Peter was in prison, looks like death is around the corner, but lo and behold, the church is together for the sole purpose of doing what? Praying. Praying. And the Bible says in verse 13, he knocked at the door in the gate and a servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everybody, Peter's standing at the door. Have you ever had one of those moments? That the least likely thing that you thought would happen happened and then you didn't know what to do with it when it happened you know, I mean, here's Rhoda. She's been praying with everybody that God would deliver Peter and set Peter free. And he's standing there and now she can't believe it. So she runs back in and tells everybody, Peter is at the door. And, and watch their great faith. You're out of your mind. <laughs> they just went from, dear Lord, would you please release Peter from prison? And Rhoda comes in and says, done. And they go, you're crazy. It ain't going to happen. When she insisted, they decided it must be his angel. You know what that means? too late herod's killed him his his angel his his ghost whatever you know they're thinking i don't think that's theologically correct they're not i don't think thinking theologically correct in the moment they're just trying to make sense of what Rhoda's is thinking here right there's got to be his angel here meanwhile peter's going you know get me out of get me off the street come on open the door he continued knocking. and when they finally opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. you think? And he motioned them to quiet down because it got a little loud. You can just imagine, right? I mean, if, if we thought when he all was about to die and all of a sudden you show up at the house and you're free, and man they began to rejoice and celebrate. and Peter's like, shh, don't don't tell anybody, let's keep this under wraps. He motioned for them to quiet down and he told them how the Lord, had led him out of prison. He said, tell James. He he said, well, James died. This is the different James. This is Jesus's brother James that he's referring to, right? Uh, He says, so tell James and the other brothers what happened, he said, and then he went to another place. We don't know where Peter went. We don't know where he goes. We're not gonna hear from him again in the book of Acts, except for one short little moment in Acts chapter 15, he's been the main character as he's been ministering mainly to Jewish people in and around Jerusalem. But next week, chapter 13, God's raising up a new main character and the mission of the church is going to turn a corner and we'll see that next week. But Peter was rescued that night. And you know why he was rescued? Because people prayed. We, we see the power of Satan here, but we also see the power of prayer. Unbeknownst to them, while they were in the process of praying, God was in the process of answering. Maybe you need to be encouraged by that this morning. Because maybe there's something that you've been praying about. And while you're in the process of praying, God's in the process of answering. And maybe you've been tempted to move on. Pray for something else. Just forget about that. Don't. Don't. The people, the Bible says, they kept praying. They kept praying here. They didn't know it. They didn't know what God was going to do, but they kept praying. Listen, never underestimate the power of a praying church. All right, straight talk. I don't think we are a praying church. I mean, I know we pray. I know you do privately. I know we do when we're together. But I don't think that's what marks us here at Grace Life, that we're a a praying people, that we're a praying church. Honestly, I mean, this is just one man's opinion, but I think it's really possible this might be one of our weakest areas here at Grace Life. And, and i lay that blame, obviously, at, at my own feet. But I think we all share that responsibility as God's people at the same time. We're weak in prayer. I mean, we'll get together to do this or that, right? We'll get together to do a craft or go to a movie or have a worship service or to go serve somewhere, go minister somewhere. But it's really sort of rare that people just get together around here just to pray. I mean, just to pray. Maybe that's because we think we can work our way out of whatever ails us. We got a lot of opinions around here, but not a lot of calluses on our knees. So I'm praying that God's going to burden me and you. To become a praying people. To become a, a praying church. We need that, don't we? Because just like Peter was experiencing bondage that night in that prison. Any, anybody know of any bondage close to home in your life today? Anybody? Man, yeah, we're covered up. There's bondage all around us. In our lives and people we love, their lives, and our family and our friends, all throughout our church, people are in bondage. And when Peter was in bondage, you know what they didn't do? They didn't preach him out of it. They didn't Bible study him out of it. They didn't service project him out of it. They didn't grilled cheese bologna sandwich fellowship their way, his way out of that. They didn't seek to get political power to deliver him from that bondage. You know what they did? They prayed. They prayed him out of that bondage. What if that's all it's going to take, y'all, to see God set people free? What if that's all it's going to take to see our lives be transformed by the power of God? Is the church having a burden and a passion to come together just to talk to Jesus? Not to hear anybody else talk to you. Not to talk to each other, and we need that. Man, we need that. But just to talk to the Lord. Acts 12 reminds us that the power of God is unleashed on the planet. When God's people pray. Amen. Verse 18 says at dawn there was a great commotion among the soldiers about what happened to Peter. As you can imagine. Herod Agrippa ordered a thorough search for him. When he couldn't be found, Herod interrogated the guards and he sentenced them to death. That's, that's Herod. That's the satanic power of Herod. Afterward, Herod left Judea to stay in Caesarea for a while. So what have we seen? We've seen the power of Satan at work. We've seen the power of prayer. Third, I want you to see the power of God's wrath. By the time we get to verse 20, months have passed in the story since Peter has escaped prison. And for reasons that we're not too clear about, shocker, Herod's angry at a particular group of people. And he's starting to tighten up on their food supply. And verse 20 says, Now Herod was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, so they sent a delegation to make peace with him because their cities were dependent upon Herod's country for food. The delegates won the support of Blastus, Herod's personal assistant, and an appointment with Herod was granted. When the day arrived, Herod put on his royal robes, sat on his throne, and he made a speech to these people now there's a jewish historian from the first century who lived during the time that this went on and he tells us that this meeting happened in the amphitheater at caesarea that amphitheater's still there if you go to israel with me we're going to go to that amphitheater and see where this happened that amphitheater had been built by the original herod the great there in caesarea so herod agrippa the first this is his great uncle's amphitheater right and so the Bible says that day he gets up, he puts on his royal robes, and he sits on his throne, and Josephus, the historian, says it's happening in the amphitheater. And then Josephus says this, quote, this, isn't, this, is, this is history, this is outside the Bible, right? But this is just one of those cool places where the Bible, and we got historical accounts, and they sync up, and I always love that. He said, quote, Herod put on a garment made holy of silver and of a contexture truly wonderful, And came into the theater early in the morning, at which time the silver of his garment being illuminated by the fresh reflection of the sun's rays upon it, shone out after a surprising manner. You can imagine the scene. Now that makes sense when we get to verse 22. The people gave him a great ovation, shouting, it's the voice of a God, not of a man. You can imagine the The chant of that that begins to echo through the amphitheater over and over again. It's the voice of a God, not of a man. And with that, God's had enough. He's had enough of this man and his satanic power. And he's had enough of this family's satanic power throughout the years. Satan's power that had operated in them is now coming to an end. Verse 23 says, Instantly, an angel of the Lord struck Herod with a sickness because he accepted the people's worship instead of giving the glory to God. So he was consumed with worms and died. What have we seen? The power of Satan, the power of prayer, and the power of God's wrath. Listen, the power of God's wrath is not something that you want to face. Ever, But unless you trust his son, Jesus, to make you right with God, you will one day. You will absolutely, beyond a shadow of a doubt, come face to face with the undiluted wrath of God against you and your sin. We see the power of God's wrath poured out there on Herod. But you know that same power of God's wrath? was poured out, not just on Herod the guilty, but also poured out on Jesus the innocent at the cross. You say, why did he pour out his wrath on Jesus the innocent? Because Jesus was substituting himself in your place and in my place. The Bible calls that salvation. He took God's wrath so you and I wouldn't have to. We deserved it just like Herod. We've all sat on the throne of our lives saying, I'll do it my way. I'll choose my way. I'll choose my path. This is what I'll do. But Jesus died so that we could be free. It's salvation. It's a gift that's given. It's not a reward that's earned. All we have to do, all you have to do is to receive that gift in faith. Herod didn't. He didn't receive that gift. I believe he could have, I believe he knew who Jesus was. I believe he had heard James preach the gospel. I believe he had probably heard Peter preach the gospel. He knew what was required of him, but he refused to do it. He rejected Jesus and God's wrath fell on him. He wanted to sit on his own throne and he paid a great price for it. And so will every human being who follows that same pattern. It's my life. It's my life. I'll do with it whatever I want to do. So we've seen the power of Satan, the power of prayer, the power of God's wrath. Fourth, last, we'll see this. The power of God's word. Verse 24 says, Meanwhile, the word of God continued to spread, and there were many, New believers. What a contrast. Herod just shriveled up and died. But the word of God is flourishing. It's going forth. And the Bible says many people were being saved. We sang this line a moment ago. Kings and kingdoms will all pass away. But the Bible says the word of God will endure forever. 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 Satan can't stop the Word of God. You can kill James, the Word of God goes on. You can imprison Peter, the Word of God goes on. I don't know about you today, but I want to hang my hat on the Word of God. Not on anything else. Not my own opinions. Not the opinion of man. Not whatever direction the winds of society may be blowing in right now. But the unchanging truth of God's word. I hope that's what we want to do here. I hope that's what you want to do. The unstoppable word of God. We want to live our lives on it. Amen? And we want to give our lives to it. To sharing it. To teaching it. To preaching it. Wherever, whenever, to whomever. Look at verse 25. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission... Remember that last week? They were at Antioch, that crazy place where the church had started in Antioch. And they sent them to Jerusalem on this mission to take a love offering down to Jerusalem because a famine was coming and they wanted to take care of their brothers and sisters down there. So when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission to Jerusalem, they returned, that is to Antioch, taking John Mark with them. Remember John Mark? his mama's Mary. It was her house where Rhoda was at, where Peter went the night when he got released out of prison. They grabbed young John Mark and they took him back to Antioch. God sustained Barnabas and Saul. They finished their mission. God had pulled the plug on Herod, but he's not yet done with Barnabas and with Saul. And now they got a new guy with them too, John Mark. They finished the work. They delivered the offering. They go back now to Antioch and God is not done with those three men. In fact, next chapter, they're going to come to the front of the stage in God's purposes and plans. The rest of our journey through the book of Acts really is going to feature those three guys in particular, one of them. But here's what I want you to do right now. I want you to fast forward from Acts 12, Acts 13, just fast forward through time. 2,000 years to October the 10th, 2021, Barnabas and Saul and John Mark, they're long gone now from this earth. Their work's done. They finished the work that God had given them to do. But on October the 10th, 2021, here I sit and here you sit. None of us know for how much longer, but for right now, here we are. It's our turn, isn't it? We are the generation now of God's people that are in the arena. We're the generation of God's people now that are on the battlefield. You see, the book of Acts is complete, but the story of Acts isn't. The book of Acts ends at Acts chapter 28. You might say that we're Acts chapter 29. Because the work of and the story of the book of Acts is continuing to go on. It's our turn, church. It's our turn to serve the Lord. Are you? You sure? Because it's awfully easy to serve ourselves. It is me. It's awfully easy to serve myself and sort of orbit life around myself and then just sort of do my token service to the Lord every now and then and think that I'm a servant of the Lord or that my life is characterized by serving the Lord. But is that really true of me? Is that really true of you? Are we really serving the Lord with our lives? Only you could answer that for yourself. But you know, I've been knowing some of y'all a pretty good long while, and I think there's a fair amount of people in the room that as you sit here today, there's a flame in your heart that says, I want to. I really want to. Not just on the side, serve the Lord. I know your love for the Lord, and you want Him to have Everything. And I I know there's probably an inner struggle, inner tension with you because there is that desire and that love that you have for Jesus and you want to surrender it all today and say, God, here I am, blank check, send me whatever that looks like to whoever, whenever, however, God, here I am, all in. I'm not jumping on the throne of my life anymore. Here I am. Today maybe is a good day for some of us just to renew our lives to the Lord and a heart of service to the Lord. Say, God, I want you to have all of me. That there's not going to be any longer an on and off switch when it comes to my serving you, Lord. I just want to be on and ready with every moment that you give me. I think God's calling some people today to renew your service to the Lord or maybe to surrender your life to him for the very first time. Isn't it time that we make serving him the priority of our life? Yes. Yes would be the answer to that. Let's bow together. God I think that most of us here today would would say we want to completely give ourselves to you, Lord. But it's so easy and so tempting to sort of hedge our bets and to reserve something for ourselves to hold back. God, you're calling us to complete surrender, total abandonment to self, and service to you. So I pray for grace for your people and for me today, Lord, that we would gladly and joyfully lay our lives down and answer the call. and confess that i am not my own i have been bought with a price i belong to the lord with your heads bowed and with your eyes closed some of you as you sit here and you're thinking there was a day that was your life but maybe you've gotten tired maybe you've gotten weary Maybe you've gotten discouraged. Maybe the complicated nature of the season of life that you find yourself in right now has made it a challenge to be fully yielded, fully surrendered. Maybe the discouragement, the despair, the burnout, the fatigue. Maybe there's all kinds of contributing factors in your life why it's a real challenge today to say, God, I'm all in. He knows that. And he doesn't have his, his finger pointed at your face to bring guilt and shame, but his hand outstretched inviting you to simply walk with him. And here's how I think this starts. And let's go back to talking about prayer for just a minute. If we're going to get to that place of full-on, joyful surrender to the Lord, it starts with this. We've got to first see Jesus. See him. Behold Him, eyes fixed on Him. That through the gift of prayer, we fix our eyes on Him, the author, the finisher of our faith. See Him. Would you right now just take your heart and your mind to that place right now. Would you just see Him? With smile on face, scar in hand that same hand extended toward you inviting you to walk with him? Would you just see him? Secondly, savor him. There is no hand that has ever cared for you like that hand. There is no smile that has ever smiled at you like that smile. There is none other who has ever loved you so deeply, even now in perhaps your worst darkest moment he loves would you simply today say God help me see you and help me savor you and if you'll see him And keep seeing him. And if you'll savor him and keep savoring him, guess what? You're going to serve him. And you're going to keep serving him. It'll flow out of the abundance of your heart. You Remember when it used to work that way for you? He's inviting you into that. See Him. And savor Him. And you'll find yourself serving Him. Wholeheartedly. In the joy of the Lord. Your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I just want to ask the worship team just to begin to sing. And I want you to sit and listen and see the Lord and savor the Lord. The serving of the Lord will come. Let's see him. Let's savor him. As the Lord moves on your heart to join in song, you do. That's great. To stand and worship, then you do that as the Holy Spirit guides you to come to this altar and pray. We just need to be free right now to just have our hearts engulfed and enraptured around the love of our Lord.